Micah 5, 10 through 15. In that day, declares the Lord, I will destroy your horses from among you and demolish your chariots. I will destroy the cities of your land and tear down all your strongholds. I will destroy your witchcraft and you will no longer cast spells. I will destroy your idols and your sacred stones from among you. You will no longer bow down to the work of your hands. I will uproot from among you your Asherah poles when I demolish your cities. I will take vengeance and anger and wrath on the nations that have not obeyed me. Good morning. It's great to be together, even if virtually, and it's great to look forward to being together in person very soon. Let's open this section of the service up in prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray to you in the name of Jesus, in the power of your spirit, and ask that you would continue to work in our lives as we surrender to your word and your spirit. Teach us, remind us, correct us, spur us on, hold us back. May we know that we have heard from you and speak through my words that they may bring out your text. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're continuing on our series from Micah, and we're in the fifth chapter, and we're talking about the end of wars and lies. We're talking about Israel, but we're applying it to our life as well. First, a story from many years ago. I was visiting a friend. He was in a state mental hospital for a serious condition, but while I was waiting for him, I was ushered into this ward, and I met a man who was a Vietnam vet. He had been highly decorated, but sadly his mind was still stuck in Vietnam, even though his body was here stateside. And I learned a trick that had been taught to me by a psychologist, and I created a place where he would be safe. And I told him he was in that space, and he talked to me. And this man was hypervigilant at all times. He's always looking around, crouching, crawling around, looking around corners. And he was so stuck, but he told me when he calmed down in this safe space that how he wished everything could just go back to normal. Hmm. And I thought, you know, the soldiers and the parents of those who have lost children are probably the ones that crave the end of war more than anyone else. And Israel had been through a lot of wars, and they had been through a lot of false teachings. And so there's hope in these words. When you see a bad thing go, it's a time for celebration, just as much as when you see a good thing come. Let's look first at that end of war. It's interesting here because we almost wonder what's going on here in the text. It sounds like a big shift, but it's still the same prophecy. Because we read in verse 9, your hand will be lifted up in triumph over your enemies. And then it goes on to verse 10, I will destroy your horses. And initially we don't get it, but we're being set up. We're being played by Micah here. You see, he's talking about something that initially sounds bad. But it's really not bad because the destruction of the horses and chariots is because you will not need them anymore because it will be the end of war. So no need for weapons anymore. And this is a good thing for anyone who is suffering from this big struggle and having to defend themselves and having to go to war and having to fight. Now in their day, horses and chariots especially the combination of the two, 
were the pinnacle of warfare of their day. And you can imagine that a chariot, whether it had two people in it or 12, because some of them had 12 horses and seven and eight people riding in them. They had at least two long spearmen and they had an archer up high and they had a driver and all these horses. And more people, they said, would be killed by trampling than actually by the spearmen and the archers. But you can imagine how they'd cut through an infantry. And so even the most powerful weapons will not be needed anymore. And that's a good thing because they no longer would need to be able to go out there and to take the battlefield because peace would be here. Now, this is something that we see many times and we wonder why they won't need it. Well, this is not talking yet about the millennial kingdom when there will be no more war. This is talking about how God will be their strength. Remember your Bible stories. I think of Gideon. And remember, he had 30,000 people, 32,000. Then they cut it down to 10,000. Then they cut it down to 300. And then God said, um, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel will boast against me, saying my own strength has saved me. And so they cut it down to 300 men and did not even give them one weapon. They had torches. They had pottery. <laughs> And they had trumpets and they broke the pottery. They blew the trumpets and God caused the Midianites. 120,000 died that day, killing themselves and other 15,000 were tracked down and they won the war because God was their strength. You see, 300 men without any weapons was enough for God, more than enough. Remember Joshua and Jericho with the high walls? And uh, what did they do to destroy Jericho? They marched around it and they blew their trumpets and God caused the walls to come down. And so this is what it's talking about. I'll destroy the horses and chariots so you don't trust in your training, so you don't trust in your might, so you don't trust in human things and you rely on me. And even to this day, do not think that the most mighty nation is the most powerful, is the one who is closest to God. That's something to think about, isn't it? And remember David, how to defeat Goliath, but a stone in a sling when Goliath had all these weapons and even armor. This is talking about the same thing, that you will not need them because God will do it. And it continues on, you'd also won't need defenses. I will destroy the cities of your land and tear down all your strongholds. Now that sounds bad, except for this word for city is literally all your fortified places. And then the strongholds would be the even more fortified places within the fortified city. So this is only talking about cities that had walls. And so you'll no longer need walls and you'll no longer need towers and parapets. You'll no longer need a shelter within the shelter. And the reason that they had all these things is that most people would live outside the walls of the city. In fact, a lot of times the city went beyond the walls. And yet all the people that lived outside the walls and all the farmers and uh, herdsmen outside would come inside the city walls. And there they would be protected. 
And it was almost impossible at one day for somebody to take a besieged city except to wait them out until they ran out of food and water. And if you had a water supply, then they were safe for a long time. Now, the Assyrians who are here on the scene right now, they're the ones that changed this. They developed great big earthenworks that would build up so they could walk across them straight onto the top of the walls. And the way they did it is they would... Uh, capture people who would be slaves from the surrounding area and put them on the front lines. So that if you killed the people building the earthworks, you'd be killing your own people. But what we're told here is there's not going to be a need. God is going to say, I can destroy all your walled cities, all your armaments, because you're not under fear of attack. Can you imagine that? I go back to when I first started uh, church planting Rugby, North Dakota, you know, a whole lot of people in that town, I learned, and I was shocked because I had grown up in Boulder, Colorado, had lost the keys to their house. Lost the keys to their house. They would go on three weeks vacation and not lock up. They had gun racks and there was no locks on them. I remember asking one why. I said, well, my neighbor might need to shoot a coyote. And he said, you're just okay with them? Yeah, well, there's no loaded in the chamber. They were so trusting of one another. Can you imagine a place like this where you don't even have to put locks on your doors, on your car, on your bike, never fear anything invaded or stolen? And so they're talking about a time because God would be their strength. We also see as we progress on to point two, the end of lies. These are the things that corrupted the Israelites from the inside, the false things that they believed other than God, the false things they worshiped instead of God. And so at first, I put a broad term here, no more spiritualism, because it lists a couple things that we don't have precise definitions for, because there's sorcery, witchcraft, spellmaking. This would include a lot of new age things like channeling and crystals. It include demonic things, even astrological things like horoscopes and things like that. You see, they were supposed to connect with God. They were supposed to listen to God for his guidance. They were supposed to be tied into his word. And at this time, they had the full Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, and a lot of the other books as well. And so they were supposed to listen to God and his prophets and not go to other places for advice and not worship anyone else. And you see these practices that are here that God is going to destroy were strictly forbidden in the Old Testament law. And yet, sadly, they were still around. And when we read the histories in Chronicles and Kings and First and Second Samuel, we see they had to repeatedly get rid of these things that weren't allowed. These things go on still today and people still practice them and rely on them. A lady that used to attend a church that I pastored was just religiously tied to her horoscope. I can remember sitting her down, and I think I had seven or eight different daily horoscopes there, and I laid them out in front of her, and they all disagreed with one another. And then we put her in discipleship with another person, and the lady that was discipling her realized that this was her fear, that Satan used this to keep her in fear and in superstition so she wouldn't grow deeper. And when she gave this up, she lost the fear that went along with it. 
And growing up in Boulder, I knew a lot of people who channeled spirits. Now, I believe there are spirits, but the only spirits we're supposed to listen to is God's spirit or an angel sent from him by his authority. All the rest can tell us lies and deceit and lead us astray. By the way, this is a funny thing growing up in Boulder, but I personally met three people who claimed to be the reincarnation of Cleopatra. They lived at the same time. I bet there's a few thousand Cleopatras out there by what people believe. These are lies. And these spirits tell you things. And if they are real spirits, instead of charlatans and other people, the hucksters that are leading you, it's a dangerous thing because they're trying to underride, undercut God's truth. And so he's going to clean up these things that were spiritualism and satanic things. He's also going to clean up idolatry. Now, there's two types of idolatry we see in the Old Testament, and that is making an image enabled to help you worship the one true God. God doesn't like that. Um, Remember the golden calf? They were not trying to worship the calf. They're trying to worship God through the calf. Um, God got very angry at them, and they suffered for it. Aaron should have known better. Other ones were idols to different gods. But these things are not a help, especially in our day, because now we live in the day when the Holy Spirit has been poured out in all flesh. We have the real thing. We don't need something between us and God. We can worship him in spirit and in truth. And so I will destroy your idols and your sacred stones from among you. You'll no longer bow down to the work of your hands. There's a little bit of ridicule here. Um, You can imagine somebody making an idol and crafting it and doing that and then worshiping it. He said, isn't that a little ridiculous? You made it? Well, Somebody made every idol. So you'll no longer do that. I will uproot from you your Asherah poles. Asherah was a female consort, sometimes the wife, sometimes the concubine, sometimes the mistress of the god El. Now, I know the god El is all a common name of a lot of Middle Eastern ones, but this was in the Canaanite religion. And so it was this female goddess, and they would have these poles, sometimes of wood, sometimes of other things, and they would worship them. And this showed that they had not listened to God that they did follow the detestable practices of the people he was displacing from them. And so he was going to clean up the house of Israel. And so no more idolatry, no more spiritualism. And then when they were clean, they would be ready for the blessing of God to come. You know, this sometimes happens individually too. I'm convinced that a lot of us do not have all the blessing God has for us, for me because I'm not submitting fully to him. And it's not that God does not want to give me these things, but I'm so into these other things that are lesser. Maybe they're not even bad, but I'm so into the lesser things, I have no time for the good things where God would deliver these things to me. Our final point is the end of oppression. Now, it looks rather negative. I will take vengeance and anger and wrath on the nations that have not obeyed me. Until we understand the Hebrew word for vengeance is a little richer than the English word because it has both a positive and negative side of it. And we can go back to the root where the same word occurs in Deuteronomy 32, 35, where God says, it is mine to avenge or to give vengeance. 
I will repay. In due time, their foot will slip. Their day of disaster is near, and their doom rushes upon them. And this is written to people who were concerned because the evil people were overtaking them. And God said, no, I got this. And you see, God will either make things right or those people will repent and he will forgive them. And so vengeance not only brings justice to those who are out of line, it ends oppression for those who are being oppressed. And that is the other side, the flip side of the coin. So when we see an end to vengeance coming, that means the people being hurt by these people are set free. And that's a part of the word we don't see in English, but is there in the, in the Hebrew. And the concept that we have here is that God is the only one that can truly and fully handle vengeance, making things right. No, I know we have to have judges and we have to try to be fair as we can. And we have to have people that try and enforce laws and we've been struggling with this as a nation and they have to be as fair as they can. But as you know, sometimes when humans do this, we don't do it that well. And so only God can truly make things right. We must trust him to stop the evildoer or to forgive them and transform them into a person of God and of love. You see that God is the one we can trust because he's not only just, he's also merciful. He's so merciful that he sent his own son to die for us so that he could pay our debt, our debt. This is the one who can take vengeance. It's the one who has balance. And so maybe you're oppressed and you can trust that God will fix things. The person that may be oppressing you God will deal with it. He sees it. There's no one more upset by oppression than God is. Remember Jesus turning over the tables in the temple in anger because they were taking advantage of the people? Hmm. God will bring about what's right after he's given everyone a chance to repent. And if you're an oppressor, now's the time to repent so that the vengeance doesn't apply to you. And so we see back in the Old Testament foreshadow even of the new that the end of all these things because people will follow God. So what's the solution in the world today? I don't know the solutions for all the problems around us, except I do know that if we would have more and more people fully yield to God and believe in Jesus, things would get much better because hearts would be transformed and then systems would be transformed. That doesn't mean we don't do things on a macro level now, but we need to get more people having the heart of God. Application suggestions. First one, when the world seems out of control. <laughs> yeah, it seemed out of control to me a bit lately. With all the things going around, with COVID, with the divisions around racial things with the potential of hundreds of millions of people dying in Africa because the crops weren't planted because of COVID. Boy, I hope those are wrong predictions. When those things seem out of control, rest in the truth that God sees and will put things right. That doesn't mean we don't have a part in it, but trust God. The world is going to be out of control until Jesus returns. That's guaranteed because we will mess it up. 
Secondly, put aside anything that distracts or distances you from God. Whether it's something bad like a lie or something good that is not the best, just put aside the things that distract you from getting close to God. Thirdly and finally, if you see someone who is being or has been oppressed and you know them personally or try and find someone like that, step in and try to help them. Maybe you can't change all the systems, but maybe you can help your neighbor. Maybe you can listen to someone who disagrees with you, but let us be people of peace and love who have been transformed by the power of a loving God.